This is The Grizz with Tyler the Lion and Spencer the Wolf. And boy, are we all feeling a little bit loony. (laughs) Welcome to Demoitis, a podcast hosted by Vancouver band Said the Whale. We're talking about our album, As Long As Your Eyes Are Wide. We're here in studio, uh, myself, I'm with Ben. And my dog, Trout. And, yeah, no Jacelyn, so Trout's going to be filling in. And we have a very special guest with us today. We are joined by former Said the Whale drummer, Spencer Schoening. <laughs> What's up? Welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're, we've got you on this episode today because uh, later in the podcast, we're going to be exploding the song Emily Rose, which you played on. That's right. Um, so that's relevant. And um, and this came about because the other night I was at the Cobalt to see a band, Little Destroyer, and I ran into you. And we talked about music. It was great. And... Um, and then we spent the rest of the night swooning over Cole Sprouse, who plays Jughead in Riverdale. What a hunk. <laughs> Very hunky in real life and on film. He made that show almost worth watching. <laughs> Season one, pretty awesome. Season two, pretty shitty. We've actually talked about Riverdale on this podcast uh, too many times. Do you know Graham, Graham Wright <laughs> has funny. his own podcast called Stay Out of Riverdale? I didn't know that, but that's definitely a Simpsons reference. Yeah, it is, definitely. <laughs> they spend about an hour talking about each episode of Riverdale. It's great. <laughs> okay, so I think what what you bring to this podcast is a unique perspective in that you have been on the receiving end many times of demos from me and demos from Ben, and as yes. well, you're also a songwriter yourself, and so you have this like crazy trifecta, at least in our sphere here, of um of of thinking about demos and getting married to demos and then demoing yourself and yeah also having been in a band with you for 10 years i feel like i've had a chance to see a bit of your demoing process and hear your demos as they come which is neat also because i don't get that very often other than tyler that's cool. That makes me feel a little more at home here because I'm assuming most of your guests are f- more commercially accomplished songwriters than I am. <laughs> uh, maybe by like no one's in nine bands. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Fish posh. <laughs> what is it like to receive demos from Tyler and that's me and demos from Ben? What's that's the, me. What's the difference? Um, how? Um, um, how does it feel to you know to receive songs that are fully fleshed out? So, you know, which is what I do a lot versus yeah. totally stripped down, which is what Ben does a lot. Um, I well, I learn a lot about the um, range of different people's songwriting processes. Um, as you just alluded to, you will, you Tyler will produce a lot more fully fleshed out songs that are that are very fully realized ben will have more sketchy not sketchy but <laughs> sketches <laughs> sketch elements <laughs> that will get developed into songs um the analogy that i always was rolling with for many years while we were working together was this like lennon mccartney sort of relationship where like Tyler was Which is more... like ridiculous, by the way. <laughs> okay, I know that I know that it's unfair to like, or that it's like treading in like 
in in, in, in dangerous territory. waters. I like to, it personally. Um, I like that. I love yeah, it. it's it is it's blasphemous territory to compare anybody to the Beatles. But if you're going to understand anything about the way that I approach writing songs, everything is through the filter of the Beatles. And, uh, you're my you're my George and Ringo. <laughs> you're my George and Ringo all in one. So yeah, that's great. That, that analogy fits for so many reasons. Okay, so I cut you off, though. Com- complete your analogy. Right. Well, uh, well, Tyler, I see you as a Paul McCartney type where, like, you will be more than happy to just, like, take a song and see it through front, front to back um, with whatever help is appropriate, but also with the full ability to just to start and finish an idea completely, whereas I see Ben as more of a John Lennon type, have a song, chords, this idea, and a really particular idea that's actually very, like, you know dear to you not to say that tyler you don't think the ideas that you write are more dear to you but i see you as more of a playful songwriter uh no th- this is a safe space you can say that, <laughs> that nothing you can say will offend me so <laughs> i asked you the question wanting a yeah, real plus answer. we're just gonna edit this out later anyway <laughs> you can make me go, sound like a dick yeah, let's get it later it's gonna sound like ben and tyler are better than john lennon and paul mccartney <laughs> <laughs> um so as a band member when you were was it musically satisfying to you to take a full-fledged song and like just play that exact drum beat and be stoked that it could be seen through to the end or was it always more satisfying to have a demo that you had to go like actually work on or like um, come up with a drum beat because there are a lot of I'm, yeah. I'm saying that to give listeners a perspective there are some songs where I just straight up wrote the drum beat yeah and yeah there's a lot of songs where it's like I heard the drum beat on this demo and I was like I couldn't possibly like think of anything to change about that because I think it's fantastic already. And, 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 and in fact uh, a song on our re-release Out of My Skin you did that with a Ben beat and that was one of yeah. the first times that Ben the, wrote a drum beat that the was only like... time I've ever I've ever written drums and it was all MIDI and didn't make any sense but Spencer, you spent hours and hours and hours turning that into tablature and learning what I had written, and then you played it perfectly, and it blew my mind. Yeah, that was one of the most arduous uh, compositional things, or, yeah, recording processes. Man. But from from my perspective, it, it actually was just, like, the greatest honor, because in my mind... That drum beat had so much to do with the song, but I thought it would never, ever play out that way because it was impossible, didn't make sense or anything, and you put in that work, which I felt just greatly, you know, I I was just so happy that that happened. And then that song turned out to be one of my favorites that we've ever recorded, so... <laughs> So, and so, so it, it is kind of like a form of demoitis to receive this demo and then just kind of be like, you know what, actually, I don't think I can beat that. That's great. Let's yeah, yeah, totally. It. Um, in answer to your question earlier, though, like I, I, I probably at the time would have been a little more democratic and said that both are make me just as happy. But the the songs that I have the strongest emotional connection to now are the ones that I do feel very like connected to the process of of making. Of course, um, which uh, ended up being more Ben songs. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. Even though like other ones I'll reference would be like. Um, the one of the new outtakes, the uh, fucks to give. Oh yeah, which is one that I feel so strongly about because I actually got something to do with the arrangement of the song. Like mm-hmm. not even as much as the beat because that's another one where I lifted the beat straight out of the demo, but I had right. a lot to do with actually figuring out how that song was gonna go. Which yeah. brings brings me to another, be- uh, you know, point that I'd like to share, which is like 
not just to toot my own horn, but like I love arrangement and thinking about songwriting. So like a lot of this stuff isn't just me picking the drum beat or not. It's a lot mm-hmm. of like thinking about the arrangement of the song. So like a good example of that would be like Mother, where uh, like I took the drum beats right out of that demo. Yeah, and it's like you know we we cre- you, you you and I agreed on something which is just like absolutely like almost unplayable like stupid <laughs> stupid beat yeah, I, I um, have been but, there watching you guys do that where Tyler has an idea and it seems ridiculous like almost impossible and there's you sweating it out take after take after take and then you nail it doing something that seems humanly impossible to me yeah and fun yeah, challenge it's yeah exactly and that's why yeah. you know it's it's interesting to weigh both sides I don't know feedback as far as song development goes can be really odd and vague because it can be as as little as like I don't know about this, which is like really bad feedback. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes it is, I don't know, sometimes like just even not just within this band, but like sharing songs with people is like a really crucial part of the process because until anyone else has heard it, it's kind of not even real. Totally. And just to hear somebody else's feedback is just like, you know, proves or cast into doubt like all of these suspicions or assumptions that you had about the songs you're so right man sharing music with an audience is obviously a huge way of filtering yourself and um because it's easy to like get a little personal feedback loop happening of of awesomeness Uh, yeah well so i don't know like i've been reflecting on this recently just because i sent you some songs yeah i was thinking about how little you can trust like your emotions like being sentimental about your own songs is kind of like the worst thing in the world because there are some songs where like i feel really strongly about it probably just because of the way that i actually felt when i wrote the song yeah and i think that that matters but it doesn't if it's not a good song yeah when you're making something the mo- one of the most important things to have in mind is your goal of what you're trying to do like right which is like I, I i like to draw a line between writing a song and like composing music because songwriting is a craft within the realm of composition i have been considering how important the idea of the quote heart of the song is which is um jack kerouac calls it the the jewel center there's this book called you're a genius all the time and he talks about his like writing process and it's all about finding this jewel center which is like the the like most distilled substance of what you're trying to work with and um that's something that i've ran with a lot in my creative process like if i'm sitting down to write a song like the first thing that i make sure that i know is like what's the point like what is the one thing that this revolves around um without which it would be like lost how does the heart influence the full process of a song for you it allows it to happen in the first place because without that there's no there's nothing to contain the piece that I'm working on I feel like I need to like step back one step here to think of, to, to just describe my the way that I like view sure. music itself like as many steps back as you can possibly take you're talking about three elements you're talking about the, the melodic element or the harmonic element you're talking about the rhythmic or the temporal element and then you're dealing with like timbre or like perfume is what I like to call it, which I stole from Brian Eno. Cool. Um, so three elements, and all of music is can be contextualized within that. Um, the twist is that with lots of songs, we're dealing with stuff that is like themat, like words and themes and that sort of stuff. So like, if we're if we're talking about songwriting, we're dealing with like a song that's about this certain thing, and then like the harmony and the rhythm and the timbre of the whole thing can um, be situated around that theme so the theme is best expressed. 
you're, you're kind of like setting boundaries like that's the other way I like to look at it is like every single composition you're dealing with you kind of set up your own little set of arbitrary boundaries for this one and then you kind of can go um, and so as far as like finding the jewel center and running with it finding what the heart is the greatest advantage of that is it allows me at least to um, just roll with it and just write so much as far as songwriting goes that's the greatest advantage I've ever had now because like now I'll write like 20 verses to a song without thinking about it and then I can like pare down and figure out what actually works and serves the theme the best which is really interesting because everything you're describing is so intellectual and mathematical and formulaic sounding you're mm. you know telling me this sort of like textbook formula for how you analyze the heart of the song and da 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 but that actually sets you free it doesn't it doesn't put so many rules on you that you can't write anything <laughs> right like, yeah. sort of like saying that up until you said that sets you free i was just like jesus like i'd sit there and wouldn't know what to do with myself but those boundaries for you give you a freedom yeah yeah that that sounds just about right like i used to hit walls writing songs all the time but now i've thought about it a lot and i don't really anymore yeah because you're thinking about it so much that you're thinking less almost yeah like i'm yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. so much like i've already can... i've already explored i've walked around the whole terrain that now i know like the ways in you know what the, the path is out. yeah you yeah. said there's so many stop signs all over the place that you can you know where you shouldn't go mm -hmm. and so if you just let go you will go where you should go how do i sign up for your class <laughs> you're in it i just learned some stuff right there <laughs> yeah. i think one of the most interesting pieces of songwriting advice uh, that i ever heard came from john mayer which he said if you ever feel stuck just write a set out to write a bad song like not a song that's like funny bad or like ironic or anything like that like just write something that you think is really uh, not good because that at least will get something that's what Tyler keeps telling me. Send me something that's not good. Well, that's similar to what Ryan Goldemann said when he was on our podcast. Was <clears throat> He said, I was talking about writer's block, and he said, well, it's not really writer's block, is it? It's more fear. Yeah. You're afraid of failing. I'd agree with that. So, I'm just so interested in, like, this is the most interesting conversation I've had in all of our podcasts so far. This is the most <laughs> enlightening about actually songwriting than uh, all of the in, uh, interviews. Which is cool. Um, All right. So you're doing lots of music and in lots of, you know, different musical configurations. How is your demoing different for all of those? Or like, what is your demoing like right now? I haven't heard your demos. I know Tyler has. I'd like to. But what are you doing? Well, the demoing process only exists for the stuff that I'm taking seriously, which is like one project. Right. Like some of the other stuff is stuff that I... In, like intentionally the process is um is one where like a demo is is never going to be part of the process because it's very like um like improvised music right so you don't you don't demo a, a jazz song no you know that's never part of the part of the thing so hey hang on just for some context um why don't you tell us what you've been up to spencer uh i know <laughs> i know over email you said you told me that you have nine ongoing music projects yeah what? tell us about them real quick it was just like the quick okay, shakedown on what spencer shoney has been up to gone from a single band dude to a prolific musician part of nine projects nine bands is a lot of hype for this right now so nobody get <laughs> excited or anything like that <laughs> I was always working on Sunny Pompeii on the side, so that's still going, which is 
the one project that I've actually been demoing for yeah um since i do plan on finishing this record that i've been tinkering away at for too long mm-hmm. um i i'm working on some uh, like ambient acoustic music um which is going by the name ducks back like water oh, off a of ducks like water back off of. yeah that's right um that's on Bandcamp. um i've got another band that's uh, a free jazz duo with my friend mike allen um sack well it's winds and drums and some guitar. What's that one called? That's called Fog Leg. So, like, the reason I have nine projects is because each one has its own little set of limits for us. So, like, Ducks Back, the whole thesis of the project is that it's very long pieces that are entirely acoustic-based. Fog Leg, you got free improvisation, uh, and then I cut everything up afterwards and arrange everything into one piece. And what are my other projects? I don't, I don't know, know. What's that? Three, four? I forget where we're at. Are you still doing Really Nelson? Uh, yeah, Really Nelson. Um, so that's just total um, free, improvised jazz, very Miles Davis fusion influenced. Um, the only compositions that we have is bass riffs. Um, there's also, oh yeah, there's I put up a bunch of music as King Sway. Oh yeah, that was great, Which man. is, um, really that cool. whole thing is just like... Sorry, that was Trent shaking. <laughs> Can I get that sample for later? <laughs> yeah. Is that, uh, that going to be Kingsway or is that going to be Duck's Back? <laughs> that one, we'll see. We'll see. As you can tell, most of the stuff I'm doing is incredibly experimental. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you, you've been a yeah. busy boy. Yeah, I've been, yeah, somewhat. It doesn't feel like it, but I've been playing around with a lot of ideas. Um, yeah, I think in, in honest answer to your question, what I have been doing since I quit the band is just thinking a lot about music which is no change you've always been thinking a lot about music it's true it's true yeah i guess so was there a a time when you need to like reset and step back from music and look at it and then go back into it or did you yeah when i quit the band (laughs) (laughs) you you quit and then i didn't see you for over a year and i never heard anything so i didn't know what you were doing i actually um tried not to do music uh, my to my best i was i was really honestly like i'm not really kidding here at all like i was planning on not really doing music anymore i didn't really see it as being very like satisfying um and uh, and i still think about music all the time and i think that's what caused me to like really like go to the foundation level like think about what music is in the first place which like i know is going to sound to a lot of people like a bunch of like philosophical kind of like you know Dude, kind of bullshit us. yeah but that's who you are yeah um, yeah fair enough <laughs> you would know this more than anyone i'd like to take everything to the extreme philosophically um i'm so glad that you found peace with music and went full into it and are doing so much because in my life in music and learning about it spencer you've been a huge inspiration and if you gave up on music it would be hard for me to look at music and, and see a reason to keep going so i'm glad that you you found your I never, I never did find an answer to the question of like, no why play music though, because there isn't a why. Also, there's music really. in people, who, and it it comes out. I never studied music. I didn't intend to be a musician. I wrote songs because I wanted to sing songs around a fire, and that yeah. was it. So it was inside of me. And when I try to do it, I feel like I'm trying to, you know, mine for something that isn't there. But when I let it rest and I feel inspired, it comes out anyways. So. 
You know, it's like searching for something and you don't see it. But when you stop searching, I think it, don't they say that about love? If you look for love, you never find it. But then if you stop looking, it finds you. It's kind of like writing a song. Dude, that's a great lyric. Thanks. Um, Trout, have you got anything to say? Would you like to say anything first? Would you like to say thank you to our people for listening? What if I give you a treat? Say thank you. There you go. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yes, thank you from Trout, everybody. <laughs> Uh, in part two of this podcast, we're going to be exploding the song Emily Rose, which you played on. I mean, that song is one of the songs on the record that was just existed, and then we recorded it pretty much exactly how the demo was. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything to be said about that, or is it pretty straightforward? Um, that it was a really hard song to perform, because that's something where I think the demo is just... I mean, the, the finished product and demo it was just so, so perfect. I really wanted to just do it, it do justice to it, mm-hmm. which made it very hard to play properly since it's uh, not a drumbeat I would have come up with. Welcome to part two of Demoitis. I'm Ben. I'm Tyler. Uh, and we're talking about a song called Emily Rose today. sad song um this song is about a friend of ours named emily shane who was tragically killed in a car accident in march of 2016 she had dated our uh, our previous drummer spencer and she'd come on the road for a couple weeks if you've seen us at the whale show you've heard the story before um but uh you know she was a, a magnetic person and somebody that even if you didn't know her that well you felt like you knew her um, very well, pretty much right after meeting her because she just had one of those incredible personalities. She could light up a room. All those kind of like cliches you hear about wonderful people, she fit to a T. And I remember waking up the morning after she died. And the way that I found out is because uh, a friend of ours, Jordan, um, posted it on Facebook. And I kind of like lay in bed for a second and I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing. I mean, it just really surprised me because... In an automobile crash, it just happens and it's done. She's not sick. There isn't a a grace period of saying goodbye or, you know, coming to terms with it. And I personally hadn't had anybody in my life just suddenly disappear like that. It was was a shock and, and a huge shock. It sent you know, ripples through our our friendship group and the community. And it was amazing to see how far uh, she actually had, had reached and touched so many people. And it was also a pretty high-profile case. The the people who caused the accident and, and T-boned her going through an intersection, uh, they fled the scene and tried to escape. They tried to leave the province and were arrested a couple days later in Creston, B.C., using fake IDs to, uh, you know, to rent a hotel and get out of there. And so the police were looking for them. And That actually kind of created an interesting dynamic with people's grieving processes, I think. Um, it became easy to sort of direct anger at a particular one person and you know th- that can be a way that people cope personally when I was writing the song I wasn't thinking about that at all I was just trying to come from a place of empathy for her family and her friends and I think that Emily is the kind of person that would have forgiven the person who hit her the days are long, 
I remember writing this song and and I was writing it from the perspective of her parents and I was just thinking how horrible it would be to lose a child and that was sort of where the feeling came from from this song the days are long was sort of talking about how excruciatingly long a day would feel if you've lost your child um, and then the nights would just be full of horrible nightmares of flashing lights, police sirens, ambulance lights. Um, that was sort of the imagery that I was trying to conjure. Yeah, man. I felt that when you sent the demo over to the rest of the band and I listened to it. I broke down pretty quickly and it, it captured a lot of the emotions. You know, even, even not having known Emily that well, uh, it felt pretty devastating to myself and to my my girlfriend Allie and you know I couldn't even imagine that feeling going you know through her family and, and everything yeah um Spencer texted me uh the day after I sent him the song and said it was the first time that he, that he cried since he heard that she died was when he heard the song so that was impactful and one of the reasons that I sent it to Spencer even though I think at that point he had already yeah, he had told us about his departure from the band, so we knew that he was leaving the band. Um, but I sent it to him, and I sent it to a couple other close friends of Emily, um, in a way kind of seeking their approval, because I didn't want to feel like I was commodifying her death, or you know, turning it into a, an opportunity to create a piece of music. Um, or like exploiting her death for that, which I know isn't how songwriting works, but it just for some reason felt like I needed to obtain permission from those closest to her before we could make this a Said the Whale song. It's like you're getting something from, from the tragedy of it. You're getting this inspiration. and Yeah, because of course there is like a high when you write a song that you're happy with and like you feel a sense of achievement and satisfaction, and it felt kind of uncomfortable to be getting that songwriting high from such a tragic event so yeah it needed to be cleared yeah i found it helpful in the grieving process to have the song um to play it and and feel emotional with the song and have it kind of translated verbally and musically uh i felt like it was succinct and appropriate and uh you know i would put that demo on that you sent to the band i just play it over and over again over the few weeks surrounding that so i felt it uh, helpful playing that live has become easier because um you know with the passage of time things do become easier um but i remember playing it in vancouver in front of a lot of emily's family and friends and it was very emotional it was a terrifying performance um, I definitely almost cried a couple times um, during the song and just was like a ball of nerves for like three songs leading up to that song in the set, knowing that I had to sing that in front of her family and close friends. I did cry during that song <laughs> while we were performing it. I legitimately had tears in my eyes. So. Yeah, that was a tough okay. I know sometimes when we're playing in... Uh, bars or places where it's loud and people aren't paying attention. A song like Miscarriage or Emily Rose can be particularly difficult to to perform, uh, you know, to the to the best of our abilities. Um, 
if it's hard to to get to that emotional point over a loud audience uh you know how does it feel when you're singing a song that you want to be emotional and powerful and and meaningful and you feel like you're just kind of shouting at people an uninterested audience for example at a bar where everybody's drinking and and not everybody's paying attention to the music it's easier if you have songs that mean something to you because then it kind of just doesn't matter if people are checked out you can still put on a great performance because you can truly be feeling what you're singing um, instead of just feeling like you're some sort of puppet in a bar band. Um, and I mean, a great example is that show in Reno we played um, kind of recently. It was just uh-huh. just awful. And there were like 30 people in the room, 27 of which were just like bar hoppers on like a zombie pub crawl and not paying attention at all. And then uh, your girlfriend, Allie, and her mom were there, thankfully. And then actually maybe there were like three other people as well that were also paying attention. But that, if we had been, if we were a band that played songs that didn't mean anything to us, we would have just like phoned that in and we would have put on a terrible show and we wouldn't have bothered performing. But because we play songs that mean something to us, it was actually kind of easy to just play a good show and perform the songs and put emotion into it because there's always emotion in those songs, even if there's not emotion in the room. Yeah. And so thank God for that. Occasionally it's fun to watch people th- try and dance to them too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just go ahead. You go ahead and twerk to this song about a friend who passed away. That's fine with me, man. <laughs>